0: It is my distinct privilege uh, to welcome to our conference uh, uh, Dr. Hisham Alawi. Uh, a f- few years ago, he was called uh, Mullah Hesham. Uh, and uh, in English, he was referred to as uh, Prince Hesham because he is indeed a member of a, a Moroccan royal family, but he has decided to forego all titles and in the book that we're going to be talking about, in his description, it says, Hisham uh, Alawi is Research Associate, Weatherhead Center for International Affairs, Harvard University. But in fact, he is a lot more than that. He has done a lot more for the study of democracy. I have had the good fortune of uh, uh, knowing him for 15 years, enjoying his advice and counsel. Uh, he has created a center for the study of uh, uh, democracy in the Arab world at Stanford. uh, A few years ago, that center convened a meeting. uh, Proceedings of that meeting have been now published. It's called The Struggles for Political Change in the Arab World, Regimes, Oppositions and External Actors after the Spring. I had the good fortune of being part of that panel, and my paper is included in this book that you see, and uh, 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 Dr. Alawi has written uh, a preface to this, but What we're going to mostly talk about is his more recent book called Pacted Democracy in the Middle East, uh, Tunisia, and Egypt in Comparative Perspective. So thank you very much for accepting uh, our invitation and gracing our meeting with your presence and with your advice. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you understand a pacted transition and a pacted democracy to be.
1: Well, thank you very much. For uh, uh, inviting me to this dialogue, and I'm very honored uh, to be answering your questions and to be, uh, although not in person, but remotely uh, among you with such a distinguished group of people. What I mean by pacted democracy," in fact, that the the, the the term, of course, is not mine. The term exists in uh, in uh, in the field of comparative politics and transitology. And it's been used uh, to describe um, the transitions that have characterized the beginning of the third wave in the 70s and 80s. And by pacted democracy, we mean negotiated transitions to democracy, uh, uh, where uh, a regime uh, sensing uh, the impasse and being uh, kind of cornered uh, and knowing uh, more than more than a, than a structural crisis, but almost a political open open political crisis, or further than that, knowing uh, on the verge of demise that the regime decides to extricate itself and to negotiate the best terms for uh, an exit strategy, and it does so by entering into a pact uh, with uh, the opposition uh, uh, which is on the other side of the aisle uh, now um, In the context of the 80s, in the context of uh, the early 80s and the 70s in Latin America, this essentially meant uh, a negotiated bargain between uh, the military on one hand, on the other hand, uh, leftist movements, uh, usually uh, in society. And usually uh, it's between the the, the moderates within the regime, within the opposition, and the softliners within. Uh, within the regime, and then the pact. After this initial agreement, the pact um, uh, widens to include more people and uh, the process of institutionalization begins. So that, essentially, in a word, what we mean by pact. And in my book, I basically adapt or exhume uh, this um, uh, study of pacts uh, uh, and I apply them uh, to the to the to the Middle East. I think in all modesty, it is one of those first uh, instances where where this has been adapted or uh, applied to the Middle East. I don't think it's
0: one of the first. I think it is the, the first uh, and it's the most detailed that I have seen. In fact, the fact of fact democracy in practice anywhere in uh, and I've been curious about it. You and I have talked about it. Now, you've studied two. One, a failed pacted democracy, what you essentially call a failed pacted uh, pact democracy in Egypt, and one that was more or less successful, at least till a few months ago, in Tunisia. What accounts for what uh, can bring about a successful pact? And what, in your mind, can be the chief factors? For a failure, I,
1: I, I have uh, I have compared uh, Egypt to Tunisia for, for 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 a simple reason. At the time where I was doing conducting the research, they were essentially the only countries in the beginning of the Arab Spring, two thousand eleven, to have engaged at beginning of political change and political transformation. And and as you will say, uh, uh, one led uh, to a transition uh and the other failed uh, now of course uh, we will talk later about Tunisia why that transition has not completed uh, so this is why uh, you know I I basically uh, uh, put uh, these two cases uh, on the same leveling field and I uh, um, and I compare them now it, it, it I, I come to the study of pacts in, in the in 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 the, uh, in the region first by a simple observation and uh, it's it, 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 it's, it, it's an evident op- observation but it's a, it's a complex one and is namely that you know why haven't these transitions why in all of these countries that have known you know political eruptions uh, basically, from below, uh, uh, none of them have basically known successful transformations, except for for Tunisia. And I I, I started with this interrogation, and then I I, I came to the conclusion uh, that it was for several reasons. First, that uh, what characterizes these, these these transition is that though uh, the, the 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 regimes seemed to, to know a rupture. In fact, it wasn't the regime that, did it. it was basically uh, 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 the elites dominating the regime at the time of the uprising. So elites that are invisible and that are still part of the regime still could reorganize and come back to the forefront after the transition, they could wait out essentially the process of anger and of effervescence in the street and then reimpose themselves. The second uh, observation, and it's linked also to the third, is that the the mobilization was one that was very punctual. People would come out in the street and basically demand the departure of the incumbents, and lo and behold, the, the incumbents would leave and then Uh, uh, They would go back home. So essentially these political actors were not institutionalized and did not organize themselves uh, to be able to translate uh, their energy into firm political agendas. And these two observations basically are uh, the framework or the skeleton from which I depart. To, to, to describe, uh, you know, to describe the pact. So this is what characterizes these regimes, uh, uh, these pacts instead of, uh, 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 as opposed to what characterized the pacts in Latin America and elsewhere, the pacts of the third wave, so per, the first pact. Also, uh, finally, another important uh, observation is, is, is related, again, to these two features of the political s- scene, is that Uh, We have tended to conflate uprisings in the streets and the effervescence in the streets with colored revolutions which have characterized the political landscape of the world uh, uh, in the past 20 years. Basically, uh, we have hastily uh, uh, labeled these movements as colored revolutions, like in, 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 uh, in Eastern Europe. And they're not colored revolutions. Colored revolutions succeeded because uh, the incumbents or the regime in power was basically uh, uh, the communist party or the successor communist party. uh, And that party, after the fall of the Soviet Union, did not have the ideological means, the financial support from, uh, from Moscow or from the center of the Soviet empire, and did not have the basically did not have the structures to uh, continue to stay in power. So this is why these, uh, these, uh, these countries, these regimes were done away with more, 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 more easily. And hence, we tended to conflate and to look at that model and to say, well, you know, Tunisia is a colored revolution. It's a, it's a jasmine revolution after all. It's not the same thing. The, 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 these regimes from, 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 uh, from Eastern Europe basically are successors or belong uh, or are extensions of the, uh, the legacy of the Cold War. While as in our region, in many regions, Middle East and North Africa, these regimes are basically uh, uh, a part of a legacy of the post-colonial uh, order which means that the elites on power are the elites that brought about the emergence of a new independent country. And as such, they were entrenched. There were those that designed the institutions that governed. There were those that that fostered and incubated the networks of patronage and the economic sphere. So they had a lot of staying power, and they were just simply not going to allow themselves to be uprooted in in such a way. So and hence, we were in front of a new phenomena, and that needed to be analyzed. And this is why I saw the, the framework of packet transitions much more appropriated. And uh, uh, if, if we were to accommodate for certain adjustments, uh, the, uh, the theory or the, the, the model, if you will, uh, was amenable uh, pretty much to, to being operationalized intellectually, at least. Of course, it's not the complete story, but it, it, it's a contribution in that direction.
0: You know, that uh, what you're saying, in a sense, fits perfectly with the conference we have. The conference is a joint effort by three groups, uh, a group called Gozar, which is a, um, tens of uh, Iran's top elites, technocrats, professors, lawyers, uh, another group called Kaya, which is a a group of Iranian uh, entrepreneurs, and the Iranian Studies Program at Stanford, precisely trying to understand what does a transition require, what does it look like, why can it fail, why, how can it succeed. In other words, we can't just jump into it and uh, uh, hope for this transition. I know you follow Iran very closely. Uh, I know your family has had a long relationship with the royal family of the past. Uh, I know you yourself uh, followed the developments so if uh, studying the two cases uh, what would be your best understanding of how a transition uh, a pacTA transition maybe or maybe not a pacted transition can, can happen in iran
1: so first before before i I address your question. Uh, frontally work, but cautiously, uh, albeit, because I'm not a specialist of Iran, although I read a lot about it and I have many Iranian friends, and I have been immersed in the, in the region very much so. Let me just say the conditions of a pact. When does a pact work, and when uh, is a pact a, a useful framework? It, 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 a pact is a useful framework when you have basically polarization between the opposition or, or or, let's say not the opposition in the region, but between contenders to uh, power, challengers that challenge competitors towards power. Now, if there is polarization, there is intractable conflict. And as such, this is an inducement for uh, bargaining. When you have parity of power, when clearly one group knows that it cannot uh, impose its will on the other group, that's a further uh, inducement towards and towards entering into uh, bargaining and when you have uh, basically diversity uh, um, uh, when you have uh, diversity in normative diversity, what does that mean? That means basically that uh, contenders two contenders agree on democracy but they have radically different views on how to instore that democracy. So these are the, these three situations are uh, uh, those that encourage facts and the more these uh, these, uh, these, uh, these factors are persistent in a situation, the more the inducement towards a backing. Now, uh, uh, and this is, this is the analysis I've applied to Tunisia and the analysis I've applied to Egypt. Tunisia uh, had all the elements, while Egypt had all the elements except the second parity of power. The Islamists were, 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 were basically stronger than the secularists, and they did not pact with the secularists. And as, as such, there was a failure of pacting, which was basically an invitation for the military to come in. That's my argument. So given this background canvas, what can I say about, what can one say about Iran? Well, uh, Iran, here is the problem. You have, you have ideological polarization. That's clearly there. You have parity in the sense that the regime can use crude force to quell the uprisings, but at the same time, they cannot cannot uproot the uprisings. The seed is still there, and they recurrently come back to the surface. So that conflict is basically in a stalemate. And at the same time, at least for now, all the challenges the opposition have mounted, they could simply not uh, uh, placate uh, 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 definitively uh, the regime because of the repression. And then of course there's normative diversity because whatever whatever ideas they may have about democracy, and I'm sure, there are many patriots within the within uh, within the Iranian regime not all of them are you know many want want the good for the nation uh, 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 and within the opposition they're going to have essentially uh, differences that cannot uh, that cannot be uh, sorted out you know unless around a table so that is the canvas for pacting now but, but 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 let's take it further it's important that there be acute polarization the more polarization there is the more inducement for the pact but this is not to say that beyond a certain point that uh, polarization becomes counterproductive and it seems to me that in iran we have not acute polarization we have severe polarization in the sense that too much blood has been has been has been uh, has basically been uh, spilled and there has been too much uh, violence and too much uh, too much repression, and as such, uh, many in the opposition, many in society basically uh, uh, are past the point of uh, of pacting. Uh, And a, a, a good indication to that is that they uh, many people in Iran, it seems to me, correct me, please, don't um, uh, don't see the benefit in continuing the electoral game. After all, you know, they voted Rafsanjani in. After all, they voted other reformers in, and uh, the result has been the same. So they are not willing to play uh, the game of gradualism all the time. So the, the danger is basically is that this in the first criteria, this extreme polarization is such, it's not acute anymore. It's extreme. It's more than severe. It's really basically irreconcilable. And as such, we have passed the point of no return concerning the pact. Now, plausibly, there could be another that at the end of the day, no, no. Uh, uh, I can imagine a situation where there are fault lines within the regime. And again, uh, you and your colleagues that will be debating this in in, in Stanford would know this better than I. But as an eye observer, I can imagine that there may be uh, severe fractures, uh, cleavages within the security services in Iran. There may be a a big uh, break between the army of the Pasdarans and the normal troops, and at a certain moment, uh, 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 the, the means of violence could not be unleashed uh, openly, you know, against the protesters. And at, at some point, the uh, armed forces, a big bulk of the armed forces, which are not the spearhead of the of the clerical regime, say, no, that's enough. If this were to happen, then I can imagine. That between these new uh, forces that emerge within the security apparatus and society, there could be the emergence of a pact saying, "Well, now we can sit down together as patriots who love Iran and know, as people who are cognizant, that continued stalemate can be mutually destructive. Because this is one of the reasons why these pacts work: It's when mutual stalemate is destructive, and the the the, the path of least cost becomes negotiation. And at that point, one can imagine, you know, the beginning of a, a, of a negotiation. Uh,
0: I think some of the signs of that cleavage are uh, clearly evident. Uh, uh, Mousavi, who was for eight years, Khomeini's uh, favorite prime minister issued a statement basically saying this regime is finished and unless we can get a new social contract and new agreement with the people, it's not going to work, and there are other signs. The security forces they haven't seen any sign of uh, uh, erosion, but I think uh, it might not be long before we see that. But uh, I have to uh, ask uh, a, a relevant question uh, that is related to PACT. I think uh, the book you wrote uh, before PACT that Democracy, uh, not the book you edited on the education system, where it was really a brilliant book, where. Uh, he uh, and his colleagues showed that how authoritarian regimes refashioned their curriculum, academic curriculum, educational curriculum to contain uh, this uh, democratic aspiration. But you also wrote something about the royal family in Morocco. Uh, I, I, I read that book. I think it's one of the wisest books I have read about how a monarchy can survive in a democracy. In a sense, that book is long before you. Uh, talked about pacted transition, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is about how the monarchy can be part of a pacted transition in a country like Morocco. Am I
1: right in understanding that if I'm right, how do you th- think that's possible? I, I I'm very proud of that book. Thank you of uh, thank you for mentioning it and thank you for giving it uh, this the, the praise that you do. But uh, 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 I I I I pretty much uh, uh, still think all all everything that that I've wrote it, it, with a single proviso, with a single caveat. If uh, a, a monarchy, or if a supra structure, or if a tutelary structure, or call it you know the, the clerical, uh, the uh, institution of wilayat al-faqih, for example, in in uh, in uh, in Iran, or the army in Tunisia. The problem with this is that they such. Uh, such tutelary uh, uh, powers or enclaves of power complicate the pact because they do not invalidate it I don't think so because at the end of the day when there is eruption uh, there will be enough pressure on that on that on that institution which 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 plays ba- basically the role of the role of uh, of, of, of tutor on the society, if there's enough pr- pressure on it, it will, it will basically retreat back and play the role of arbitration. So I have not abandoned that altogether. But then at the end of the day, there still has to be a pact between the opposing uh, society parties in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in society. But one cannot count On that tutelary power, whether it's a monarchy or the army to be enlightened, you can have an enlightened monarch, a monarch can be enlightened based on his experience, he knows at the end of the day, that centrally planned economy is at the end of the day detrimental and at the end of the day, if if there's no accountability, there's no solution for, uh, for uh, the, the equal distribution of, uh, of, of the benefits of the economy, and you have widening gaps between the haves and the have-nots, and it's an unstable situ- uh, situation. But short of that, short of somebody who's in power for 20, 30 years and acquires that astuteness and that wisdom, the tutelary power cannot uh, uh, automatically be assumed that it will relinquish power. This is why pressure is always a very important uh, part of that pact. And this is my argument in Egypt that it was on the defensive after the the Egyptian army was on the defensive. But the lack of a pact between the political contenders, i.e., Islamists on the one hand and seculars on the other side, essentially gave uh, uh, the army the incentive to reconquer the power it's lost. The Egyptian military did not set up uh, the, the transition to fail. It was the failure of the actors that brought in the military and that made the military clamp down. Uh, add to that, of course, the negative geopolitical uh, forces. Now, in my book, I talk about seculars and, uh, and, and Islamists, that this is the main, the main fracture line in these in these societies now there's a big nuance in uh, in iran we can say well is it really the cleavage and that's something uh, you know i hope you i know you will try to tackle uh, in your conference for me just because uh, there is a mounting and overwhelming opposition against the clerical establishment it does not mean that religion and that there's no place for Islamists and that they will not be at the table in a future pact if there is a pact. Why? I have been intrigued and I have been really puzzled by seeing how many veiled women come out to the streets in Iran helping and supporting their sisters without the veil. And for me, that's a clear message. We don't have a problem with the veil as such. We have a problem with a, with, a, with, a, with a structure that instrumentalizes religion to hold on to power. That is, that is how I, 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 I see the situation in Iran. It's not so much the veil. It's that the veil has become the linchpin to uh, uh, the situation, uh, to, to basically to the breaking of the, of, the, of the resistance of that wall. And... The regime knows it, and it's my sense that the regime could have very well sacrificed the veil. In the name of religion, in the name of a reinterpretation of religion, it would still keep for itself the prerogative of holding on and of deliberating and adjudicating on matter of religion. But it doesn't do it, because it feels that it, if it concedes there, it will basically have to uh, concede on everything else.
0: I think that's exactly the case, and there are people within the establishment, most importantly Khamenei himself, who says the hijab is God's right, we are here to enforce God's writ, and there are people who, I, I think, contrary to the claims of velayat al-faqih, are saying that religion can play an important role in the social life, in the private life of the individuals, and I think one of the challenges for any possible pact in Iran is precisely how people negotiate that role, that what you call in your book sort of religion-light uh, role. Uh, but Velayat as you know, uh, absolutely categorically denies uh, even the desirability of democracy. Uh, it says, we are guardians of Allah on earth, we uh, guide. But there are other clerics from uh, the time of the Constitutional Revolution who said exactly what uh, you were trying to argue, that there is a place for it, but if you understand your limit and if you understand that there is a social contract between people who allows them to make their decisions uh, in conjunction, but not in constraint uh, by religion. Uh, I I am, again, extremely grateful for the time you gave us. It was, uh, as always, every time I... uh, chat with you, I I learned a great deal, and every time uh, I chat with you I think that the the Middle East can be a democratic place if it has people like you who are willing to put your time, who are willing to put your uh, money, who are uh, willing to put your expertise in the service of democracy, who are willing to forego royal titles, if that helps promote the democratic uh, aspirations. Every time I meet a Moroccan uh, and uh, there is a talk of Morocco, there's almost invariably talk of you as a beacon of hope for uh, Moroccan democracy. So I'm honored and very grateful that you accepted my invitation. Thank you.
1: Thank you, sir, and the honor is mine. And I wish your, uh, your conference successful. I look forward uh, to following, to seeing the, the videos that, uh, that ensue. And beyond all of that, uh, I pray for a, uh, a prosperous, stable uh, Iran uh, in the framework of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a free order where society is free and where uh, the institutions are, are democratic. And thank you very much. And I think, as you would say in your, in your rich language and culture, khuda Hafez. Khuda Hafez. Thank you.